This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree, and I also volunteer to do communications work for NTEU Chapter 49. This is the Chapter 49 podcast, and uh, this is a labor of love for me, uh, doing this podcast to get information out to people uh, in Indiana and others who choose to listen. If you are listening and think that others might have uh, some use out of what we talk about, uh, we try to keep this a weekly podcast whenever possible. We don't make it every week, but most weeks we try to to produce this. And, of course, it wouldn't be the same if we didn't have our chapter president, Duncan Giles, on the line. And, Duncan, uh, welcome back. Always uh, good to check in with you. Good to be here. And yeah, the podcast would probably be more sane without me. Well, I don't know about that. Less informative <laughs> for sure. Sanity has nothing to do with working for the federal government, as you well know. Amen uh, to that. <laughs> why did we ever get into it? And you know, I, I was there for 28 years and you've been there quite a while yourself. So just past twenty six. So you, yeah, you'll you'll pass me by in, in the length of service here in the not too distant future. All right. Well, we have a lot to talk about as always. No, no shortage of subjects. I think the most important thing we need to talk about uh, is the proposal that has just been announced. Really, within hours of the time we record this, we are uh, recording this, and we'll we'll post this on January twenty second, twenty twenty one. So the, there is a proposal for a federal employee pay raise of 3.2%, 2.2% across the board, 1% going to locality pay. The last pay raise of 1% didn't have any locality pay element to it at all. Uh, this has been a long fight for NTEU. Uh, we, uh, along with, with uh, other people who lobby for these sorts of things, feel that we are finally getting to the point where this might actually happen. We might have some actual changes uh, enacted and, and put into place on the federal pay front. So just tell me how it looks to you from, from your vantage point. Yeah, it's actually, as you said, it's very promising. Um, it's been uh, proposed in the House, going to be proposed in the Senate, a matching bill. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where we need to start playing a little bit of catch up with the pay and uh, the, a 2.2 with a 1% locality pay would really, really help a lot of people, especially after the 1% last year, because as we all know, things like insurance premiums are not going down. And so anything that we can do to try and uh, get that to make it more attractive to stay in the federal government or attract more people to work in the federal government is an absolute plus. And I think we've got a real friend in the White House for backing this as well. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's put it that way. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the president's budget calls for. But I'm hoping this was like a clear signal to him that this was what Congress uh, might be looking at. Yeah, this has been a long fight. You know, I went to many uh, legislative conferences over the years in the past years, and I know uh, Many, many times the uh, Chapter 49 contingent would go into Indiana members of the Senate and the Congress. You normally talk to their staff, but the staff briefs the member on all this. So it's, it's important uh, you know, to get that point across. And I would talk to these staff members and the members of Congress and the Senate 
and explain the reasons that, that we need to have competitive pay. And everybody nods their head. Oh, yeah, we understand that. And, you know, unfortunately, very little happens. There was an effort uh, to put a pay act together in the 90s, but it's been largely ignored. I think we've been under an emergency since that law was passed, haven't we, Duncan? Every year is an emergency. Yeah, we have. So they declare it, they being the the powers that be, declare an emergency and ignore the recommendations of of, uh, the Pay Act. Another aspect of this, uh, which will be of some interest of some, not all, uh, retirees, I happen to be one retiree that had uh, 14 years of uh, private sector employment, so I had 14 years of uh, Social Security credits, then went to work as one of the last people uh, hired in 1983 under the CSRS system. And I take a big hit in my Social Security payments. There is now a bill, a separate bill from the one you talked about, that would satisfy this this big imbalance uh, with this uh, what's called WEP, windfall uh, provision in the law that was enacted way back in 1983 uh, because they thought some federal uh, retirees are getting uh, too big a windfall. Well, it it really ended up hurting people in ways I don't think it was ever intended to. Uh, so there is uh, also there's an offset that can affect other retirees. Uh, so that is being uh, proposed in a separate piece of legislation. So we're seeing issues being discussed now, Duncan, that really haven't even been an issue lately. And I think that's a positive development. Absolutely, and that. Uh, windfall elimination, the WEP that you referenced, that's been talked about for, I know, at least 20 years. Um, And I can't stress enough that whether you're listening to this in the state of Indiana or elsewhere in the country, go on the NTU website and let your congressperson and senator know how you feel about these bills that they need to be passed, co-sponsored, supported, whatever it is. It is so incredibly easy to do this, not on government time, not with government equipment, but it's it's just takes literally a couple of moments of your time to let your uh, elected representatives know how you feel. And this does have an impact. And the more folks that we can get behind these types of things, then we can make it a more normal process instead of the diet pay raises or no pay raises that we've had to basically beg for. Yeah, I remember for years they used to call our, uh, this is years ago, used to call our pay raises COLAs, cost of living adjustments. And then all of a sudden I started to hear, this was in the 80s, this this term called diet cola, which was, you know, the colas weren't really keeping up with the cost of living. And now it's just a matter of let's let's raise pay because federal employees need to be competitive you know, we've worked under some pretty tough conditions, like other people have. We don't, I mean, teachers and, and, and healthcare workers, I mean, I'm not saying we're alone in this, but, you know, people working for the federal government have had a tough time doing that work. And we're still, as a group, trying very hard to get that work done. A little recognition along that way would, would, would I think, uh, mean quite a bit. So the, the pay raise is uh, in, in place. We will, on this podcast, give you regular updates on that. Duncan also uses uh, email to speak to members directly. And uh, we do have a, a Facebook page. And you can find it at NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. You have to put that Indiana on the end. And just uh, you can you can search for it on the Facebook page. 
uh, the, the Facebook site, I should say. Just just go ahead and, and uh, um, search for that. You can like or follow us, and uh, you'll get all of our updates through your Facebook news feed. Let's move on to another issue, and uh, we have a new president. Uh, we have President Joseph Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, both have a record of being very staunch supporters of the federal workforce, which is a breath of fresh air for anybody working uh, in the federal sector. Um, just a few comments uh, from you. So did you, I, I know you were working that day. Did you have a chance to monitor or maybe later on watch the news accounts of the inauguration? Uh, yeah, I thought it was um, absolutely a great inauguration. I loved the spirit of the messages, the songs, uh, our youth uh, poet laureate. I thought it was, you know, incredible. And the whole thing is, you know, we've got to come together. And there are a lot of people resisting that. And I understand that. And that's, as Americans, that's their right. But, you know, this is a president who is going to be, as you said, very pro um, worker, not just federal worker. He's pro worker. He's, you know, and when I see these things that, you know, he's going to cause massive inflation and gas prices are going to rise to $4 and this and that, I'm just like, I'm sorry, these people that uh, say those types of things don't have the faintest idea of what they're talking about or what causes those. He's already started jumping on executive orders to try and correct a lot of things that have happened in the last couple of years. Um, there are already executive orders in the works that will assist federal employees in their collective bargaining rights and how they're represented that were going to be severely restricted um, once our contract was up here at the IRS and already across the federal government. And I think it's just going to be a much better day for people who, quote, work for a living, unquote, as opposed to those that, you know, are Wall Street folks. I, I really do think that this is going to be good for the American worker. You know, what, what, uh, you mentioned this earlier, the, the president has, has made a commitment that he will rescind and change and issue new executive orders on, on relationships between federal agencies uh, and the unions, like NTEU. Uh, we know the president has a lot to deal with first, and so we know that will be coming. It just hasn't happened yet. Uh, but he has issued one executive order already, and that uh, requires face mask wearing on federal property. Now, I know you have mentioned, you and I have talked about this before, that in the Minton Capehart building, uh, it's, it is a requirement to do that. And most people are, IRS people are, not every agency is perfect, but this what this executive order does is it would back up legally any manager or, or supervisor that demanded that employees put the mask on and keep it on and wear it the right way during the the workday. Uh, so that's uh, that. And I think uh, don't the security guards check your face mask as you walk into Mitten Capehart? Yes, they do. And I, you know, I, the way I look at it now is if I see somebody in the halls who's not IRS and not wearing a face mask, now I get to trip them. That's the way <laughs> I'm looking at this. Yes. That's um, <laughs> Little like the, the tripping penalty and little like know. the tripping penalty in hockey, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to the penalty box for two minutes for that. Um, I think it's you know, 
we're going to common sense. We, you know, if you wear a mask, it'll reduce the spread of COVID-19. This is a fact. I'm sorry if you don't agree with it. It's a fact. It reduces the spread. And to have it in federal buildings, to have it on airlines, things of that nature, so they can enforce these types of things, I think it's a great first step. We're going to start listening to the scientists, the ones who studied this stuff, the ones who have the knowledge to help you know go forward. And the president and the vice president have made a commitment to listening to the experts, to being transparent. And you know, if you've seen any videos, the president's already said he's not always going to be right. Tell him if he, you think he's wrong so he can correct if he needs to. And I just find that incredibly refreshing. One other thing that he's done along with that executive order I mentioned, he's established a health and safety task force for uh, the federal workplace. And and this had not existed uh, before, and it was a reaction to the pandemic. And <clears throat> doesn't guarantee us anything, but it, it certainly does uh, uh, put a, a group together to make some quick recommendations on if there's anything that needs to be done special for certain segments of the federal workforce on vaccinations, on COVID testing, on uh, keeping the workplace as clean and as safe as possible. You know, that was something that wasn't done at all before, and our new president has done that, and that is specifically focused on, on the federal workforce. Yeah, and me not being a shy kind of guy, one of the things that I've already sent uh, up to them for this potential task force is to monitor air quality because in different posts of duty across Indiana and I'm sure across the country, the air quality has varied greatly depending upon the type of building we're in and how many bodies are in it once we do come back and start getting back to some sense of normalcy. So we need to take a look at that. When you talk about COVID tests and vaccinations, again, I want to, you know, be very clear to people, as of right now, there's no such thing as a forced vaccination. You're not going to be told you have to have one to work. I think it's very smart to have one. But if you don't, they're not going to force you to have one. That may impact you work-wise, depending upon where you're sitting, if you're in. We don't know any of that at this point. We, don't, we know that they're not going to be testing. They just don't have the ability to do that. But the fact that the uh, new administration is looking at doing more strenuous testing, getting more tests out, getting more vaccine out, you know, trying to do whatever they can to curb this, because from everything that I read, what was left of them was not much of a plan, if any at all. Well, Duncan, air quality at the Minton Capehart building has been a, has been an issue far back as 1983 when I started working in that building. And you know there have been many battles back and forth on that. That air quality has improved, but it was never easy to get there, was it? It's, it's not been, and it just depends on, you know, how many people are in the building, what type of runs, what they call the vents. Uh, in the building. I've become pretty much of an HVAC expert over the years, not by choice, just by happenstance. So, you know, I worked very closely with our facilities folks who deal in Indiana are great 
about making sure that it is safe, uh, that it is within the uh, standards of quality. And that, but I would we sadly just need to make sure that they continue to do that. Well, I would sadly say that was not the case all the time in the past. I think it has improved a great deal, and we will give the people uh, in the management sector, but not just at IRS, but at GSA and other parts of the government, a credit for finally getting that uh, resolved. But it took a lot of work, and part of it had to do with the original design of the building. And we'll not get into all that. And then there's also all the leased space throughout the state of Indiana. We have a large call, well, large call site. It's small by uh, IRS comparison, but a large workplace, uh, which is separate from the KPAR building for our call center. And uh, there are lots of lease spaces throughout the state. And uh, they, you have to, and, and I think, as you well know, you have to deal with every single landlord in every situation. And uh, it's a battle sometimes. Some uh, landlords are more uh, willing to work with you than others. So well, any other comments on any of that? Yeah, every POD, whether it's in Indiana or across the country, is going to be different. And just have to make sure and stay on top of it to make sure that it's safe for our employees, whether it's air quality, whether it's, you know, COVID cleaning, social distancing, whatever it is. And this got a lot of publicity when the Trump administration uh, decided to do away with diversity training within the federal workforce. Uh, One of uh, the new president's first actions is to reinstate that training. I wholeheartedly agreed with the reinstatement. I couldn't believe that diversity training uh, was was taken down. I I couldn't even fathom what made them come to that decision to not do that. Let's move on because uh, the IRS remains a part of the Treasury Department, and uh, looks like Janet Yellen is on a fast track to uh, be. Uh, confirmed as the Treasury Secretary. If you listen to this after, well, after we record it, uh, she may have already been confirmed by that time. It appears she's she has enough support to be confirmed. She's formerly uh, the the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, so she has uh, impeccable credentials when it comes to the uh, the economy and being an economist and understanding finance. Uh, of course, the Treasury Secretary deals with some big picture stuff, you know. Uh, trade deals internationally and all that. Um, So it's rare that the Treasury Secretary has a lot to do with IRS. Do you think, although the Treasury does make some rules that can impact IRS, do you think Janet Yellen at the top uh, is something that uh, we should feel good about at this point? I think so, just in the fact that there were a lot of things that we were trying to get accomplished here at the IRS that Treasury over the last couple of years would really come down on. Uh, they did not, and I'm sure they had their orders from on high. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that I viewed as almost obstructionist. And I think with a new treasury secretary, with a new administration, with hopefully a new attitude, that there will be much more, you know, trying to work to get the all the things that need to get accomplished, but do it for the employee, not in spite of the employees. And we should note that uh, our IRS commissioner, Rettig, uh, is in a five-year term. I think it, uh, it's got at least a couple, of, a year or two to go. Uh, I mean, I guess a commissioner can be uh, removed for, for some reasons, but uh, that five-year term is still in the middle. So of all indications up to this point is that the president plans to make no change at the top of the IRS. 
Yeah, I've, I've uh, not heard of any. Uh, Commissioner Reddick's term goes through 2022. It ends in sometime in 2022. I have not heard of any issues or thoughts about trying to do anything to shorten that term. Um, and I, I truly think that uh, Commissioner Redding is a is a decent man, a good man, and wants to get things accomplished, uh, but is also not anti-employee by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that I think with a different administration now, that hopefully this will free him up to again show that he is uh, that pro-employee attitude. Hopefully, will come out more. Let's move on to something else. Uh a topic that's been uh, around for as long as we've had this podcast uh, when we started back in uh, 2020, in the middle of 2020, weather and safety leave. Uh, the weather and safety leave people are being recalled. Uh, how is management dealing with requests uh, uh, to deal with specific situations where people have specific type of illnesses? What's uh, in circumstances? Uh, what's going on with that? My understanding from uh, from pretty high levels is that basically we're just trying, we're still so backed up in the service centers, we're still not coming close on the phones. Um, and this is where a lot of the weather and safety leave folks are, are centered in, mostly W&I, wage and investment. And so they want to bring these people back. They have to make sure that they're socially distanced. They don't have a choice in that, but they think that they have enough people that are teleworking that they're going to be able to bring all these people back. And people have said to me, well, you know, I've still got this medical condition and I've still got this and I've still got that. And my response to everybody pretty uniformly has been, unless you have a doctor that will sign a statement that he's probably going to be called upon to swear to that if you go in to work, you will catch the coronavirus. Not that you're susceptible to it, not that you're high risk, that you will catch COVID-19, then you're not going to be excused. You're going to be have to be recalled. And so it's an extremely high standard to meet to still remain on WSL. And I'm not sure of anybody that's going to be able to meet that standard. Will some employees be able to demand reasonable accommodations or will that be an issue, you think? It's going to depend on what the reasonable accommodation is. That's a great question. Um, we're already finding that some people now who are starting to get the notice to come back um, that have said previously that they couldn't telework even when they had uh, portable work uh, are now able to telework, which is good. Um, but the social distancing is going to be the main issue. And I know I'm going to be talking to, uh, the call site in Indianapolis, where we have the, we'll have the main bulk of our folks to make sure that there is a plan. And I want to see it, that people are going to be able to be socially distanced. And I'm sure other chapters across the country that are dealing with us are going to be doing the same exact thing I am. Well, this ties into the next issue, and that has to do with telework. Uh, we talked about the rumor last time you and I talked about uh, people were thinking that telework was going to be restricted or go away for a lot of people. You made it clear there's no such plan. I don't know how IRS could 
operate without large numbers of people on telework, as you just mentioned. You couldn't distance everybody if they showed up. In if they were to show up in in person. Um, so uh, I think it, it just kind of give us another uh, update on this. Is telework going to stay the way it is for a while, or um, what's your general view on this and what you've heard? Yeah, as of uh, last week, we haven't heard about the call for this week, but uh, every week our uh, chief of negotiations, Ken Moffat, and assistant to the president, Doreen Greenwald, two great and very knowledgeable folks who've both been guests on our program, um, you know, they they ask IRS at every opportunity when they're on these calls, are you planning any changes to the telework program? And right now, the answer has been absolutely not. And I don't foresee any change until at the least summer. And even then, it's probably going to be doubtful. Well, Dr. Fauci was uh, on uh, on television last night saying that uh, if we are able to vaccinate enough people as a society and get to a point of herd immunity, enough people are willing to be vaccinated and, and there's the ability to do so, that the first possibility of something called normalcy would be the fall of this year, which is still a long way off. So I don't think we're looking at I think the real issue on telework, Duncan, and we've talked about this before, is what it will mean for IRS employees in the long term. Because some of the arguments management had made to restrict telework have gone away since uh, there has been a relatively successful rollout of time. Not that there haven't been problems, but I think you would agree that uh, uh, the management, knowing they needed these people on telework, have worked very hard to get these connections right and going. And most people are successfully working on telework where, as you have mentioned before, uh, management had claimed for years that simply couldn't be done. And we see that it can be done. Exactly, exactly. And I can tell you for a fact that this is going to be uh, some very robust discussion at our uh, term table that we'll be having in the next couple of months for our national agreement on telework. And speaking of Dr. Fauci, who you and, you know, people that listen to this podcast regularly know I hold an extremely high regard. That's a guy who looks a little bit more relaxed now, doesn't he? Well, there was an exchange between he and one of the White House reporters yesterday that kind of illuminated all that. He does feel, and, and, and he feels like, and, and I'm not, you know, Donald Trump, he was the president. He had his right to, to have his own views. But I believe that Dr. Fauci, when he said, look, we have a president that will pay attention to the science and less to his gut feeling, I think that's what he was trying to say, that the, 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 uh, I said, I put this, the scientists have been liberated and he is the chief scientist at this point. So, and has earned the right to do that. If you look back at what he did, for instance, in AIDS research, the reason so many people who can, who uh, contract AIDS now can live a long life is because of Anthony Fauci. And he has a tremendous track record of, of doing uh, tremendous work in infectious diseases. And I can't think of anybody I'd listen to more than him. So that's my speech. Exactly. Uh, I want to say one quick thing here, and I want to just kind of du uh, double back to something we talked about before, uh, uh, because uh, this whole uh, committee or com that's going to be formed on health and safety within the workforce, this task force is being put together that you've obviously already made comments to. Uh, we are seeing in the private sector 
not so much employers saying you must have the vaccine to come to work. That hasn't happened yet, although I think employers under current law can do that. Most have not. What they have done, Duncan, is they have given people incentives to take the vaccine, willing to, to give them bonuses or other incentives of some sort uh, to take the vaccine. Perhaps this task force could recommend something like that. It might take legislation to do it, but perhaps that could be done. That would require some forward thinking. And as we both know in the federal government, that's tough to do. Um, I, I think that's an excellent suggestion. I would assume that they are already looking at things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I, I think that anything that can encourage people, uh, you know, like I say, once it's, it's from everything I've read, everything we've seen, you know, no vaccine is perfect. No vaccine is without side effects. But from everything I've seen, read, listened to the scientists, the experts, they're very minimal, and it's a very, very, very small percentage. Well, I'll just so I can tell you for me, as soon as a vaccine's available, I'm taking it. Well, I guess I'm in the next age group. It's gives my age away. I just barely missed the current crop. But, uh, yeah, my mother is 90 years old, and she has already had her first inoculation, and she had no effects at all. I mean, most of the effects I've heard about are people who say their arm is sore, and that could happen with any vaccine inoculation. Uh, they're Absolutely. Not, not to say that there are not some side effects for some people, but they, as you say, Duncan, they're not common, and, and we would hope that uh, anyone listening uh, would at least – very seriously consider taking a vaccine when it's your turn to do so. Um, we're almost out of time. Uh, would you like uh, to mention anything before we wrap this podcast up? I, I just want to say I am so thankful that we had what what should be an uneventful transition. But as we all know, we were all concerned that it might not be. Um as I mentioned, I was in the federal building on Wednesday, and I was not going to let them or anybody else, you know, change change my world or change the way I work. And I'm just glad that we had the peaceful transition of, of power and that we are now looking forward and hopefully, um, you know, get past, get past COVID. We need to work hard, get past COVID. And come together on several levels as best we can. Well said. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I found it interesting. You know, Sunday was supposed to have been, this past Sunday before we record this, was supposed to be a day of demonstration. And there were all these reporters that showed up at the Indiana State House, and all they found was one fellow with the Trump flag, and that was it. They couldn't find anybody else. Yeah, he thought there were going to be a lot more. <laughs> he was thinking he'd have more, and, you know, he, all, he finally just walked away and, you know, Realized nobody was going to join him. I'll just make one quick comment. You know, being having been a federal employee, you know, I do believe laws need to be enforced. And with the law enforcement reaction to what happened at the Capitol January sixth, I think that sent a message that uh, at you know that the federal government's not going to allow people to to break the law in this kind of way. And uh, I think that's one reason things have died down, at least for now. I'm not saying it'll be permanent, but at least for now. So let's uh, let's cross our fingers and hope that uh, our better angels prevail. 
Okay, thank you, Duncan Giles. Uh, We appreciate uh, your weekly input into our Chapter 49 podcast. It's a weekly podcast. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, We are on just about every platform you would want to, to, to use to find a podcast. The best way to find it is just to search under Podcasts by Larry Lannan. My last name is spelled L-A-N-N-A-N. And uh, there's a long list. I I, uh, produce a number of different podcasts, but you'll find the Chapter 49 podcasts in there. And uh, you can find this one, and of course the one you're listening to, you've already uh, accessed one, but you find all of them going back, uh, gosh, I guess it was July, we started this of 2020. So all of our podcasts are available there. My name's Larry Lannon. Again, I'm a retiree and a volunteer with Chapter 49. Uh, we thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, all things considered. And I just wish you all to please be safe and be kind. <laughs>